"'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bid, good folk?' cried he. "'Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, dollar, two, only two, two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, but no.' Far back from the room, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody as pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. Then the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, Now what am I bid for the old violin? Held it up with a bow. Thousand dollars. Who'll make it two? Two thousand. Who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. Going and gone, said he. The people cheered. Some of them cried, We don't understand. What changed its worth? Why, quick came the reply, The touch of the Master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. Mess of pottage, glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once. He's going twice. He's going and almost gone, but the Master comes. And the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the Master's hand. I committed that to memory some years ago because it's really my testimony. I was almost gone, (laughs) but the Master came. And I've never been the same. Have you ever been in a, what we call a no-win situation? (laughs) Well, I'm going to read you one tonight from the Scriptures. A no-win situation. If you have a Bible, turn turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Matthew, chapter 11. And let me read a few verses, beginning in verse number 16. Watch the no-win situation that arises. The Lord Jesus is speaking in verse 16 of Matthew 11. This is what He says, "...but whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the markets, and calling to their fellows, and saying..." We have piped to you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not lamented. For John, now that would be John the Baptist, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a devil. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. The Lord Jesus said, We can't win with you. John comes, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. I come eating and drinking. No matter how we come, no matter how we present it, no matter what we do, you don't want it. Just a no-win situation. And then in the verses following, he began to upbraid the cities in which most of his mighty works were done. And he names them. And you know what he said? 
He said, if the miracles that were done in your city would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But you won't. Why do I bring this up? Because North America has seen and heard and had preached on radio and television and internet and books and articles and every imaginable way North America has been flooded with the gospel of Jesus Christ and people still don't repent. They harden their hearts. They say, well, that's for you. That's not for me. I'm not interested. In 1970, at Arrowhead Springs, California, I was in a, 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 a general room where there was a television, and Billy Graham was preaching that night. 1970, Arrowhead Springs, San Bernardino, California. Campus Crusade for Christ. And, and in that particular crusade, Mrs. Billy Graham made a statement. And she was on television that night, national-wide. And this is what she said. If God doesn't judge America for the sins that America has done, He's going to have to raise up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to them. 1970. It's an incredible principle that the Lord Jesus brings up. He said, we've piped to you, we've danced to you, we've reached out to you, we've tried everything, and you would not have us. He said, over that great city, that great city of Zion, that capital city of Israel, and he looked down on that city, and he said, I would, and you would not. Folks, tonight you are in that category, and I'm in that category. We have had chance after chance after chance after chance after chance, and it is very possible. Matter of fact, I'm going to go this far there are people here tonight who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've listened to it. You're a testimony tonight of the grace of God. You heard one last night of the grace of God. We heard last night that there are two ways, the way of life and the way of death. And it seems to go in one ear and out the other. It's just a no-win situation. What, what do you want us to do? You want us to get on our knees and beg and cry and plead? Would that help? Uh, some, some time ago, I have a friend, and, and this, this friend is not a Christian. And, and he and I would often go fishing together. And on one occasion, I, uh, I, I, I had many occasions to talk to him about the gospel, but on this fishing trip, I said to him, let's call him Bill. His name was not Bill, but let's call him Bill. I said, Bill... I know why. I know why you're not a Christian. We're fishing. And he sort of pauses for a minute, and he looks at me, and he didn't say anything. I said, I don't know why you're not a Christian. And he didn't say anything. And I said, I'll tell you why you're not a Christian. I said, Bill, you're a good man. You're a great father. You're a good husband. You run an honest business. And you don't think God would send you to hell. That's the reason you're not a Christian. Time passed. He didn't say anything. I don't, then I don't bug this guy every minute that we're together, have opportunity to share Christ with him. About two weeks later, I walk into his office and his business. And uh, we were alone. And I said to him, I said, Bill, I said, do you think about that conversation we had? 
Yeah. And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, well, I'm waiting on God to do something. Now, we had this conversation before. And, and, and on many occasions before, I said to him, you know, the Lord's already made His move 2,000 years ago. The ball's in your court, man, you know. And he knew that. But he said to me, again, I'm waiting on God to do something. I don't know what possessed me to say this. But I said, we got a big God. What would you like for Him to do? He didn't know what to say. And I was hoping he wouldn't say too much. I'm going to tell you, you know, I don't know where I'm going from here. He didn't say anything. I said, well, I got an idea, Bill. I said, look, we looked out the window in his office. I said, you see that tree over there? I said, why don't we ask God to strike that tree with lightning? I said, what about that? I said, you know, we'll just say, God, if you're really there, why don't you just strike this tree with lightning? I said, what about that, Bill? Would you like for us to do that? Would you like for me to ask God to do that? He didn't know what to say, and I was hoping he didn't know what to say, because I don't know if God's going to do that or not. You know what I said to him? I said, Bill, I said, if God struck that tree with lightning, you still wouldn't believe. And I'll tell you why. Because you'd turn on the radio, and they say there's a thunderstorm in the area, and you'd write the whole thing off. To come to Christ, it is not more information it is not more experience. It is a decision that you have to make. And that decision is by faith, giving God the benefit of the doubt about what He says about sin, what He says about His Son, what He says about salvation, and whatever I think, and the way I've been raised, or whatever I've been taught, or what my feelings are, i got to give it up and choose God. Choose His Word. That is what the Bible calls faith and repentance. For me to deny my own feelings and to believe what God says in His Word. Jesus said, no matter how we come to you, Israel, as a nation, you will not have us. They were in a no-win situation. However, listen, a little later on in the text, way down in verse 28, the Lord Jesus says these words, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Dear friends, tonight that is a divine invitation. You might get an invitation from the president. You might not even want to go if you got it. I don't know. You might get an invitation from the Queen of England. You might get an invitation from the CEO of the business. You might get an invitation to go out for supper tonight. I did, and I enjoyed it, and it was great. You might get an invitation to come to a fight. I mean, you get a lot of invitations in life. This one's from the King of Kings, from the Lord Jesus, and He says, Come unto Me. Interesting, though. In light of the context, you know what the context is dictating for us in this passage? People are not coming. They're not coming. They're not coming. We've piped to you. We've danced to you. We've reached out to you. I've done everything. I'm the friend of sinners. And you won't have me. And you won't come. Interestingly enough, there are 39 variations of that little word come in the New Testament. 39. And this one is used exclusively in this place. 
And Mr. Vine, in his expository word dictionary, translates it like this, Come in a manner that is not expected. Jesus said, don't follow the crowd. Don't be like the people that I've been talking about. Don't be like uh, Tyre and Sidon and Chorazin and Capernaum. Don't be like those people. You come in a different way. Little word, come. Powerful meaning. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. God says to Noah, Come, thou and all thy house, into the ark. <laughs> well, I, I like the old King James when it says that, come. Because some of the translations say, Noah, enter into the ark, or go into the ark. Let me tell you the difference. If I said to you, go into the kitchen, where am I? Well, I'm somewhere. I'm not in the kitchen, but I'm saying to you, go into the kitchen. If I say to you, come into the kitchen, where am I? <laughs> I'm in the kitchen. God said to Noah, come into the ark. Where's God's in the ark? That ark was a place of safety. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is your ark of safety. And Jesus Christ says, Come. Come to Me. Notice the verse. Come unto Me. Uh, The Bible is is always gives us direction. It it doesn't leave us out. It doesn't tell us uh, in absurdities. It gives us specific direction. The Lord Jesus did not say, come to church. He didn't say, come to religion. He, said, he didn't say, uh, come to a philosophy, or, uh, or come to an organization, or come to more knowledge, or come to an experience, or come to a feeling. He said, come unto me. There's a vital touch. There's a personal relationship that he's talking about. We're talking about explicit direction here. Why Him? Well, He's the only one in the universe that will take you to God. That's why. He said it Himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, are you getting this? No one comes to the Father but by Me. Some years ago, I was in Vancouver. I'd had some meetings, and uh, the kids were home. My wife was home, and I was getting one of these Guilt payments, you know. I'm going buying something for the kids to take them home because Daddy's away. So I'm buying T-shirts, you know. And uh, so I'm in this T-shirt shop. And I'm buying this T-shirt, and there's a line of people there. And while I'm lining up to buy this T-shirt, there's a little window. It doesn't go to the outside. It's just built in, a window, and there's a little statue, some kind of a statue sitting there. When I got up to the guy uh, to buy the T-shirt, I said to him, I said, uh what would that be up there, that little statue? He said, oh, that's my God. I said, that's your God? He said, yeah. I said, I don't want to be ignorant here, but I said, I don't think your God can move. <laughs> I don't think He can see. I don't think He can talk. He said, no, He's just a statue. I said, where would you get that God? He said, I bought Him in India, and I brought Him over here with me. I said, oh. I said, who do you think Jesus Christ is? Oh, he said, Jesus Christ was a good man. He was a great man, a great prophet, and he was a great example for us to follow. I said, we got a problem. 
He said, we do? I said, yeah, we got a big problem. Jesus said, he is the only way to heaven. I said, do you believe that? He said, no, no, I don't, I don't believe that. I said, you see, we got a problem. If Jesus is a liar, how could he be a good example? If Jesus is a liar, how could he be someone to follow? I said, do you understand? we got a big problem here. He said, you want the T-shirt or not? <laughs> Jesus Christ is always controversial, folks. But Jesus said, you come to me. And the reason He wants us to come to Him is because He is the only one that can get us to heaven. God doesn't receive sinners. Jesus does. You've got to go to Calvary before you can go to heaven. It, Jesus alone can forgive you of your sins. So He says, come unto Me. There is direction that is given. There, there was a, a woman and her child driving, uh, riding along in a train in the late 1800s going out west in the United States. And they were in a snowstorm. And she was quite concerned. She'd never been on the train before. She was quite concerned about the whole thing. And a gentleman saw her concern and said to her, uh, I notice you're a bit nervous. She said, I don't know where my stop is. I don't know where to get off. And he said, I've been on this route many times. So he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, you just relax. When we get to the stop, before your stop, he said, I will tell you, you'll have lots of time to get ready. You can get your child ready, and things will be okay. She said, thank you very much. She relaxed. She sat down. After an hour or so, train stopped. The gentleman came over and said, the next stop is going to be your stop. She said, thank you very much. She got the child ready. They went on for a while. The train stopped. She went to the door, and she thanked him again. He tipped his hat at her and said, you know, good luck or nice to meet you or something. Goodbye. She stepped off of the train. The train went on. In a very short period of time, the train stopped again. So he said to one of the conductors, one of the uh, attendants there, he said to him, he said, why are you stopping in between stations? said, we're not stopping in between stations. said, the last time we stopped was in between stations. He said, this is our regular stop. So we had a problem with one of the brakes. So he explained to her, he said, listen, I have put that woman and her child off in between the stations in this snowstorm and said, listen, we've got to get somebody back there to find her. When they got somebody back there to find her, the child and the woman were froze to death in between stations. They both perished. Why? It was a tragic consequence of what? Wrong directions. Wrong directions. You turn that radio on, you watch that on TV, you look at these magazines, you listen to it, and there are people out there telling you all kind of ways to get to God. Let Jesus tell you how to get to God. Don't listen to me. Take your Bible and read it for yourself. God forbid that I would ever say anything to you that's not from this book. But Jesus Christ claimed to be the way, the only way. He claimed to be the only mediator between God. And His name is the only name that you get forgiveness of sins. And in this divine invitation, He says, Come unto me. Contact. It was a baseball game. I know you guys like baseball out here. 
guy lines up, right-hand batter, left-hand pitcher. He winds up, that guy throws him a fastball in there. He's a little late on the swing, but he taps it. Bang! Right out into right field. Right between the fielders. Way out there. He's rounding second when the guy picks up the ball. He's going into third, and that third base coach says, Go for it. you got time. And he's burning it into the home plate. He comes in, he throws that ball all the way in. That second baseman picks that ball up. He whips that thing like a firebrand coming out of his hand. And, and plenty of time, the catcher grabs that ball, puts it down like this, and to everybody in the stadium, he was obviously safe. The umpire says, You're out! Man, the crowds went crazy. When everybody settled down, the, 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 the umpire behind the plate pointed to the first baseman, and he said, You call it! First baseman said he never touched first. He's out. He's out. Folks, you've got to get to first. First base is Jesus Christ. Oh, you can round second. You can burn into third. And you can slide home and end up in hell if you don't touch first base. Jesus is the first base you have got to touch. Jesus says, come unto me. Well, let's notice who can come. Watch the invitation. Jesus said, come unto me all. I like that. I love that. All. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in His sight. It didn't make any difference what color your skin is, what education you got, how many degrees behind your name, how much money you got in the bank, what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live. It doesn't make any difference to God. He is no respecter of persons. Jesus said, come unto me all, and then he says this, all who are, all that labor and are heavy laden. Two categories, active and passive. Some time ago, I got to go to a, a, a mainline uh, denominational church because the pastor had left and they didn't have anybody. And they called me, and they don't generally preach the gospel in these places. Excuse me while I play with this. I'm going to try to do something with it. I don't know what to do with this thing. Button that on the back of me. So I was there, and I was, uh, and I was preaching in this place where the gospel is never preached. Thank you very much. And afterwards, well, it's like Paul going to the synagogue. Don't get excited here, you know. That's, I mean, that's the way it was. So I go and I preach the gospel. Afterwards, uh, an elderly lady, you remember from my other message, about 114 years old. They grow them old up there. She came to me and she said, that was a very good message. Very good. I said, well, thank you very much. I said, would you be a Christian. Would you know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior? She said, I taught Sunday school here for 47 years. She's working on it. Do you get the point? I ask people all the time, you know, uh, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I, they tell you in these classes where you take uh, evangelism, don't ever ask anybody if they're a Christian because they'll all say yes. That's a great question to ask people. And they all say yes. That's a great answer. And then you say, well, what does that mean to you? And then you know whether they got it or not. 
She's, she's depending on 47 years of teaching Sunday school to get her into the kingdom of God. You see, there are some who are laboring. They're the do-good guys. And they're the churchgoers. Listen, if you broke society down into, you know, some maybe four basic categories, you got what we call the out-and-out sinner. We know, we know them. They're the bad guys, right, Tom? They're the best of, that's the guys that Tom gets after, you know. They're the bad guys. The out-and-out sinner, he's the guy that stands on his own two feet, pokes out his chest and waves his fist in the face of God and says, God, if there is a God, you're not big enough to make me serve you. That's the out-and-out sinner. We say, yeah, we know about them. Well, guess what? There's another category of people, not the out-and-out sinner, but we call them the church-goers. I asked a lady one time, I was standing in a home, and I said to her, I said, are you a Christian? She said, of course I'm a Christian. What do you think, I'm a heathen? I said, oh, really? Good, good. I said, what does that mean to you? She said, I got baptized when I was a baby. I said, how do you know? She said, I got my baptismal certificate, and my mother told me. I said, well, then you better take your baptismal certificate and your mother to heaven with you and show that to God, because he may not know that. She didn't laugh, and I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> People are depending on their church membership, their baptismal certificates. They're, they're not only the out-and-out sinner, the churchgoer. Think about the do-gooder. Someone said... If you lined up, I don't know how many people now, six billion, six and a half billion, seven billion people, if you lined them up toe to heel and heel to toe, uh, I said the line would be long enough to go from the earth to the moon and back to the earth and round it twice. That's a long line. Take a gold cup and put it in the hand of that first person and say to that person, put all of your goodness, all of your righteousness into that cup and pass it along. Do you know when that cup got to the end of that line, there would not be enough righteousness in that cup to save one child? Because the Bible says, none righteous, no, not one. <laughs> so you got the out-and-out sinner. We know who he is. We got the churchgoer. They're laboring away. We got the do-gooder. He's the big brother guy. He's going down to the hospital and volunteering. I mean, listen, this is your neighbor. This is the guy that feeds your parakeet when you go on vacation. This is the guy that takes out your garbage for you and mows your grass. I mean, he's a great guy. He's a good guy. But he can't labor his way into heaven. He can't be good enough to get into heaven. He can't go to church enough to get into heaven. These are people that are laboring their way. Then, then we got the other category, and it is people like this who's, who's got a heavy burden. Uh, on one occasion, a young couple came to me afterwards and said, I want to talk to you about salvation. And I said, great. Um, and, and the girl who looked like an angel, she said, but I don't think I could ever be saved. She said, I've been so bad. And you know how it is. I mean, you know, I said, well, honey, you didn't kill anybody, did you? She said, I stabbed a man six times, but he didn't die. I said, oh, Lord, what kind of people are you talking to? You don't know who you're talking to. 
But there are people in life today that have done a lot of stupid things. Maybe they have killed somebody. Maybe they've been addicted to several different things. I mean, they have ruined their lives, and they are weighted down because of the burden of sin and the burden of wrong choices. And Jesus said, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you're an out-and-out sinner. You can come. doesn't matter if you're a churchgoer. You can come. doesn't matter if you're a do-gooder, self-righteous. You can come. doesn't even matter if you're a procrastinator. Procrastinators, you know how that goes. They tell us as preachers, don't manipulate the little children. No, don't tell them about Jesus. You can do it to them. Don't do that to little children. And the little children turn into the tender teens. They got their parties and they got their sports and they got their games. They got no time for Jesus. And then from the tender teens, they go into the tempestuous twenties. And now they're off to school and they're getting married and they're buying houses and they're buying cars and they move into the tired 30s. they got to pay for all that stuff now. Some of them are even getting a job by now. It's amazing. Daddy's money is running out. No time for Jesus now. i got to get my life straightened out. Now move into the feverish 40s. Oh, my, kids are going off to school. Bills are, my job's not going good. I'm into the frantic 50s. Others are passing me by. I can't, uh, I, I can't re-educate. I, I don't know what to do. They've let me go at my job. I'm in the sinking 60s and the solemn 70s. And things are really bad. i got no time for Jesus. I move into the aching 80s and the nagging 90s if you live that long. But one thing the procrastinator has done is what? Put it off. You know what he says to the procrastinator? Come. Come out and out center. Come those who labor. Come those who are heavy laden. Come the people that think nobody could ever forgive me after what I've done. Come unto me, Jesus said, all who labor and who are heavy laden. Notice now the next word. He says, and I. I like that. I. Did you know that Jesus will take your case on personally? You ever go to a hairdresser or a lawyer or a banker or a mechanic or somebody, and you got an appointment, right? And you go there, and the secretary says, just sit here, Mr. Reese. Uh, it won't be long, you know. Uh, he'll see you in a moment. And after about 30 minutes, you're wondering. After about 45 minutes, you're wondering. And then about an hour, the secretary says, oh, uh, Mr. Reese, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. So-and-so, that you, uh, he left. He, I'm been sitting there. How'd he leave? He got an escape hatch in the back? Like, what? How does he get out of here? But his associate said that he would talk to you. I don't want to talk to his associate. I want to talk to him. Listen to me. This is what Jesus said. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will personally take your case. Jesus is going to handle your case personally. Notice what our verse says. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will. Oh. Not maybe. Not uh, I'll think about it. I will. That's determination. Listen, the only person that can say, I will, and you can count on it, bank on it, that's it, final thing, not, you don't have to doubt. You can bet eternity on it as the Lord Jesus. You know why? Because He's got all power. 
He got all authority. When Jesus Christ says, I will, let me tell you something. He will. And notice what he says. I will, watch our next word, give. Not loan. Not sell. Give. I got in a situation with two unsaved men. They were bushwhackers. They were they were hunters. They they shoot anything. Hummingbirds, Tweety birds. Uh, they shoot. I mean, these guys were no respecter of animals. Okay. One of them had a brother or or nephew that was saved, and he set up he set up for me to go hunting with them. The problem is he didn't tell them that I was a Christian, so they didn't know. I'm just another renegade, as far as they know, because that's all they hang around with—just people who just you know. And so it's early in the morning. We're going wolf hunting. It's early in the morning. And uh, uh, I drive up. They get in my truck. Ready to go. Ready to go. Bazookas, you know, hand grenades. They got, got it all, you know. We got, we got the arsenal. So we go out, you know, and after a couple of hours, we're walking into a deer yard. It's in the, the winter. The wolves are all over the place. We're walking into a deer yard. One on this side, one on this side. I'm walking along. And one of them said to me, uh, what do you do? I said, I'm a preacher, and they're about ten steps behind me. They just stopped dead. I mean, these guys wouldn't be caught dead with a preacher. They have nothing to do with church, with God, with Bible, with preachers, anybody. Nothing. No. I turned around, and I said, you, you wouldn't hold that against me, would you? They in my truck. We way out there somewhere. You know what I mean? They better make friends. You know what I'm talking about. At the end of that day, we came back. One guy left. The other guy said, do you want a cup of coffee? I said, yeah, sure. One in said, do you like to see my gun collection? I said, I love to see your gun collection. He took me in his basement. His basement was one big gun collection. I never, I mean, this guy could outfit an army. He had every imaginable weapon you could think of. And so he's going through them, and there they are, and this is this one, this is this one. No. And he came to one that was in a glass case. Couldn't touch it. And I said to him, I said, Now, Fred, I said, that must be a special gun. You shot a big bear, big moose or something with that gun. He said, No. He said, uh, My son shot himself with that gun last fall hunting. And he couldn't talk about it. We went upstairs. We had the coffee. I'm trying to talk to Fred about the Lord. And I'm telling Fred, Fred, you know that salvation is a gift. That it, it, it doesn't cost you. God is paid. But you get it free. It is a gift. He said, you see what I got? You see my house? You see my camper? You see my truck? You see my... You see my he said, I, I couldn't even repeat what he said. Blankety-blank, good money for that, he said. Nothing that is free is worth anything. It is cheap, and I don't want it. I said, Fred, that gun in the case down there in that glass case, I said, would you sell me that gun? He just swore. He said, a million dollars couldn't buy that gun. And then he said, I might could give it away, but I could never sell it. I said, Fred, you've answered your own question. 
Are, are you telling me that some things are too precious to put a, a price tag on? He said, that's right. And I said, well, God won't sell His Son. What do you think about that? His Son is too precious. You can't buy Him. You don't deserve Him. You can't earn it. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift. Listen, if somebody comes to your door at Christmas, knocks on your door, you go to the door and open the door, and there they stand with a, a present all wrapped up, so nice. And they say, Merry Christmas. I, I have a gift for you. You know, you can do only one of two things. You can say, bah humbug, Scrooge, I don't believe in Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas. I don't want your gift. Or you could say, thank you very much. You wouldn't dare say, can I, can I buy it? Could I, could I come and work for it? You can accept it or you can reject it. Listen to our verse. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will Give. You get it. It is a gift. Now notice our next word. I will give you. You've got to ask yourself the question, who is the you? Oh, it's those who come. It's the ones that come. And you say, how do you come? By faith. Just by faith. God has put in the heart of every man, woman, and boy and girl a thing called conscience. And He has written His laws in your heart. There you go. That's the reason you know right from wrong. You don't have to learn that. You know there's something about it. When you do wrong, you know it. Oh, you can deny it, and you can camouflage it, and you can excuse it, and you can justify it. But when you lay down at night and there's nobody else there, you know right from wrong. God has put His Word in your heart. And God has manifested Himself in places like this and the universe that He's created. And He's manifested Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. How do you, how, how, who is the you and how do you come? By faith. You just—it's just a simple thing. You say, "Lord, I'm the sinner. I agree with you. All of sin, and that's me. I'm not the exception of all of humanity. It is me. And I agree with you that there's only one way. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin, that He was buried, that He rose again for my justification, and that if I believe that, if I trust that, if I accept Him, if I receive Him as my Savior." Not going to church, not being good, not buying and not saying, oh, I'm too bad. Just, just doing what God has asked you to do. By the authority of that book and by personal experience, I'll tell you what will happen. Heaven will come down and flood your soul. You will never be the same. Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit of God will take up residence in your life. And you'll be born again by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will come and live inside of you and begin to illuminate your mind and your heart. And God will show you His plan for your life. Folks, you can't get it any better than that. I will give you. Notice the last word. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What's the world need tonight? They need rest for their souls. Rest from their laborings. 
rest from their burdens. You know, a lot of young people here, I am so happy. I'm just thrilled to see so many young people here. You know what young people want? They want peace. That's what they're looking for. They want, they, want, they want peace with themselves. A lot of them don't like themselves. Don't like the way they look. They don't like the color of their hair. They don't like if they got freckles. They don't like how much weight or how much lack of weight. I mean, I don't... They just, you know, young people are just like all of us were at one time. And, and they're looking to have peace with their parents and their family and their peers and the world that they live in. And let me tell you, there's only one way to get that peace, and that is that the Prince of Peace comes to live within your heart, the Lord Jesus. Whether you're old or whether you're young, it doesn't make any difference tonight. You see, we all want life, but if we're not careful, we want it without God. Wouldn't it be foolish for a kite? I'm flying a kite now. And the kite says, I want to go higher than any kite has ever gone, but don't, I don't want this string attached to me. When you cut the string, what happens? The kite comes down, right? It would be foolish for a train to say, I want to go where no, where no other train has ever gone, over mountains and across deserts, and I, I want to go places no train has ever gone, but I don't want to be confined to these tracks. The train doesn't go anywhere off the tracks. The, the string gives the kite the, the, the way to go. The, the tracks give the train the way to go. Listen, you want to have life? Without God, good luck. You can't have it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I give unto them eternal life. He said, I will give unto them abundant life. Jesus Christ, the author of life. Listen, He created you. He's got a schematic on you. He knows everything about you. The blueprint is there. He knows what makes you up. He knows what makes you happy. It would be foolish to say, I want an exciting, adventurous life, but I don't want God in my life. And I don't want His Son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. The only invitation I know to give is trust Jesus. That's the only one. And we're not talking about joining a church. We're not talking about being religious. We're not taking up offerings. We're not trying to get your money. We're just trying to tell you that tonight you have received a divine invitation from the Lord Jesus, to come in a way not expected. Don't worry about your friend that's grinning and making fun of the thing right now. Don't worry about your parents that are perhaps not interested at all. Worry about yourself. Yourself. Make this applicable to you. Listen, this is what Jesus says to you, whoever you are tonight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest from your labors and from your burdens. He'll bring peace into your heart tonight. Let's pray. Lord, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. By Your Spirit and through Your Word, I pray that You would cause an anxious soul tonight that You might help us to consider our ways. Have we heard it over and over again? Have we shrugged it off? Have we had so many evidences of the gospel and yet we will not believe? Perhaps this very night someone would say, I'll come in a different way. I won't come the way everybody else is coming. I 
I understand what Jesus is saying, that He's died for me, that He's risen again for me, that He's got forgiveness of sins and a new life for me, and I'm coming tonight. I'm coming to the Lord Jesus. I'm coming by faith. I'm trusting Him to be my Savior. Father, if there's anyone that's interested, if there's anyone that's thinking about it, if there's anyone that actually is right now in their own heart saying, Yes, that is me. I am coming, Lord. I want rest for my soul. I want peace in my life. I want Your will. I want to be in Your family. I want to be saved tonight. Father, confirm that to them right now. As Christians are praying for one lost sinner, we pray that in this very moment of time, they will settle it for all of eternity. For Christ's sake. Amen. This is the end of the meeting. If you